Welcome to Corn Ferry Institute's Women CEOs Speak podcast series. I'm Evelyn Orr, Chief Operating Officer of the Corn Ferry Institute, where I lead research and development for the firm. I was honored to lead the research team that produced the Women CEOs Speak research report. I am the host for this series of conversations related to how women made it to CEO, what enabled them, what obstacles they encountered, and how they navigated their careers and contributions to arrive at the top. For today's conversation, we're going to explore what women can do to advance their careers and increase their impact in the workplace and the world. Joining me today is Signa Spencer. Signa is a member of Corn Ferry Institute's research and thought leadership team. She is an author and an expert in what's required for success in professional contexts. For the Women CEOs Speak research, Cigna poured over interview transcripts and analyzed data that resulted in many of the insights we published in the report and more that we will discuss today. Welcome, Cigna. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Cigna, as we dive into this conversation, I expect that many of our listeners are at different points in their career, and I think it really makes sense for us to explore what women can do in their early career, in the middle of their career and later when they're more senior. Let's start with women early in their careers. What would be some things you'd highlight? First, I would say, look at the company that you're working for and make sure that it's got a culture that you can support and values that you can support, and then it treats women well. It doesn't have to have a lot of women, but it needs to treat you well. We had a number of CEOs who left companies that had unethical practices where there wasn't good integrity, and we had CEOs who left companies that didn't treat women well, that had practices that were not conducive to the women advancing and doing well. They didn't flee. They didn't give up their careers. They just found a company that was better for them. So they strategically planned to look elsewhere when they encountered something that didn't feel right. Yes. And a common phrase was, the next day I started looking for another job Mm -hmm. after something happened that they didn't think was right or that was going to stifle them or hinder their career. I remember one story that really stuck with me. One of the women early in her career was an engineer in a firm and was participating in an HR performance review, the annual review with her manager. And she wrote on her review page that she was aspiring to make partner someday. And it was very aspirational. And she said, I don't know if it'll take five years, 10 years, 15 years, but that's where I see myself. And he pushed the paper back over to her side of the table with a bottle of whiteout and said, that's not going to happen here. It would be irresponsible of us to put that aspiration and that goal on file with HR. Do you remember what happened after that? (laughs) She left. (laughs) She was one of the ones who said, the next day I started looking for another job in another company. She wasn't bitter about it. She just agreed with the manager that I think he's right. I I won't make partner here because with that kind of belief or attitude, it's not likely to happen. Right. I think she thought that he was genuinely trying to be helpful. So that was one story. Another story was someone who needed to move to a different location because her her spouse was moving. And 
her company would only give her a job there that was very much lower and smaller than her current job. So it would have been a demotion. And she said, you know, this is a big city. I'll find another job. And she did. One of the common phrases of the women was, what's the worst thing that could happen? I could get fired. And I would find another job. And that was sort of their courage about leaving companies. Later in their careers, many of the women also said that they chose to accept or reject jobs based on the overall values of the company and whether they were in line with with the women's own values. So what else helped women, these women early in their careers, establish roots and build their credibility? The most important thing, this may be the most important thing in our whole findings, is getting into roles where you can have measurable results and that are core to the business. So this would be roles that are called operational or line or delivery or sales. Roles where you can have an actual impact on the bottom line and where you can understand the business as a business. None of our CEOs started out in HR or marketing or communications or any of those support roles. A few of them were legal, which is a little bit of a different case. But those line roles in operations help you understand the business and help you have a really objective, measurable way of measuring your performance. If you are in in a support role such as HR and you really want to be a senior leader or CEO, we would recommend that you see about moving into an operational role. And that by that, I mean things like um, running a department in a factory or running a factory or underwriting for insurance or analyst for uh, financial services or uh, supervising the stringing the transmission lines for utilities. So all of those really nitty-gritty roles are where you want to start your career and in, even to have a lot of your career should be in those kinds of lines. Those are the roles that men use to get to become CEO as well. I want to underscore this because I think there are several reasons this is important. The first being when you're achieving measurable results in black and white terms, it's harder for managers or HR or the system to ignore the results that you're getting or to let unconscious bias seep into the decision-making process with regards to promotions or raises. That's really important. I think the second reason this is important is that this is when women are establishing relationships with mentors and sponsors who will see them through some key critical moves in their career. And so delivering these results in very concrete ways not only gets them noticed, but helps them impact the results that that people around them are seeing. It it raises all boats, in in other words. And then I think third, what what you already mentioned, which is When women can get close to the core of how a business makes money and how a business differentiates itself in the market, that will lead to more P&L and GM roles in the future, which we will get to later. Kind of typical things that women said were, they had to promote me because I was the one who delivered the results. 
And another quote is, my relationship with my mentor was a two-way relationship. I delivered results for him that made him look good, and he gave me advice and promoted me. So let's briefly talk more about that reciprocity. Um, What else would you say about how mentors and sponsors helped out early in women's careers, and what can women do to build those relationships? Well, one thing you can do is deliver results and be a good performer. But you can also um, certainly welcome mentoring. You need to understand that any single mentor or boss is not going to be the whole answer to your career. Uh, But learn what you can from them and ask them questions and particularly ask questions about how the business works, how the finance works, how you make money in this business. Because those are the things that sometimes mentors don't think to talk to women about. So ask, ask on that. And if you can't get a mentor, observe your boss and other managers closely to see how they behave and the impact that they have and what you want to copy and what you want to avoid. Yeah, as I recall, there were many women who mentioned positive and negative role models. And I think the fact that you can take lessons from either is really insightful. And one woman actually deliberately sought out mentors and asked people to mentor her. And she found that about one in 10 would actually agree to do this, which I think is a pretty good rate. So if you're going to ask people to mentor you, just be prepared that you're going to get a lot of rejection. And that's fair enough because it takes a lot of time and it takes confidence on their part that they have something to offer you. So I think that example gets into some of the qualities that sustain women early in their careers. What you just described was, first off, persistence, but secondly, not taking things too personally. Right. So the nine out of 10 mentors who declined probably had a lot of reasons that had nothing to do with the people who were asking to be mentored uh, in order to decline. Um, What what other qualities did you see in the women CEOs when they described their early career experiences? What what can we share with with the group? They were really interested in learning and in challenge and in stretching themselves and advice that they would give to younger women is not to wait till they have all the qualifications for the next job, but to go ahead and ask, let people know that you're ambitious. It doesn't mean going around and being, you know, obnoxiously boastful, but it does mean letting the right people, your boss, your boss's boss, maybe HR, know that you're interested in moving ahead, know that you're what you're interested in doing next. So be a little ambitious. And if someone gives you feedback that says you could be a leader, you could move forward, believe it, because people don't say that lightly. So set some lofty goals. Don't let people dissuade you and persist. A lot of our CEOs in our study didn't think of themselves as a leader early in their career, but they also Many of them give other women advice to think about where you'd like to go, where you'd like to end up, and if you are interested in actually running a business. And if you are, go for it and go for it early and often. I think it's important to note not only 
the fact that sharing that you're ambitious or sharing that you have the desire to be challenged in new and different ways is important, but also the why behind it is important. So what I noticed in the in the women was a constant desire to deliver deliver results and make an impact. And when people see that the ambition and the aspiration is rooted in contributing and making an impact, I think it's received differently. And I think that this helps women navigate the double bind that we get in where we are told equal and opposite things, you know, raise your hand, be ambitious, don't come across overly persistent and aggressive. And when women can articulate why, that that can help neutralize some of the reactions that they might otherwise get. So I remember, and we're getting a little bit into mid-career here, but I remember one of the women CEOs sharing a story about how she was leading IT and the company was going through restructuring and rebalancing their business. And frankly, for a time, she didn't necessarily have an, enough to keep her challenged and busy. And she saw that she had this capacity to contribute. And so she went to the CEO and said, I've always wanted to help out thinking through strategy. I have some capacity right now because of all these changes happening can I take on some additional responsibilities or or help out in some way with regards to strategy development for the firm? And that was received both with welcome because the help was needed, but also with pleasant surprise on the part of the CEO who said, I didn't know you had ambitions beyond leading IT. This is great information that you have aspirations to be challenged in new ways. And that opened up his mind to what was possible for her career. And it gave her the opportunity to dive into an area that would help provide experience that would prepare her to ultimately become CEO. So exploring those types of aspirations and ambitions from the point of how will it both impact me and, and my life and my career and what I want and what I think is possible, but also how is it going to impact and help the leaders around me and the organization so that it's very mutual and, and reciprocal. Indeed. And as the women progressed in their careers, they really focused not on their own power and status and title, but rather on how they can contribute and how their company can contribute to the employees' lives, to their communities, to their customers, to their industry. And that really became one of the driving factors, both in their own motivation and in the way they engaged and inspired others. Given that careers that are intense and headed toward executive leadership roles or CEO roles need a lot of support and a support system around them, whether you're a man or a woman. What did we hear from the women about their partners and their home life that can provide some insight for young women who are starting out both in their careers and in their families? First of all, all of our sample are now or have been married. 
And many, many of them have children. Most of them have children. So the notion that you have to choose between career and, and family is outdated. About a third of them now have husbands who are spouses who are really taking on primary responsibility for the home front. But half of them have definitely dual career families. And those women manage this by really careful coordination with their spouses and by hiring help for all of the things that aren't high visibility, high interaction. So they prioritize their time with their family and their children to be the things where they're actually personally interacting with them. They will drive their kids places or chaperone school events, but they won't be the person who's making cookies and doing the back office things for the PTA. There's a lot of negotiation and planning and sorting things out. Many of the women who had dual career families said that this was actually helpful to them, that it enabled them to learn how to balance priorities, to say no when it's appropriate, to focus on what was the most important. And they found that they could use those skills at work. And others said that being part of a dual career family enabled them and their spouses to take career risks that they might have been uncomfortable taking if they'd been the sole support of the family, the sole financial support. They were all grateful to their spouses for the support and encouragement that their spouses had given them. So now that we've established some of the key principles around early career for women, let's talk about the pivot that happens probably around mid-career or sometimes earlier, where once women have been established in their area of expertise and they've built a lot of credibility with leaders, managers, and peers, one of the key pivot points that all of the women CEOs shared with us was the point where they moved from being an individual contributor to leading a team or from leading an area where they were the experts and they knew everything going on in their area to leading a team where they had to rely on a myriad of expertise areas that they weren't necessarily familiar with. Talk to me about that transition and why it's so important. That's where women have made the transition from leading based on their expertise to leading based on their leadership and their ability to connect people to the larger purpose and the values and what needs to be done. And this is where you are leading people who may be older than you, who certainly have expertise that you don't have. So this is a real broadening time. Uh, it's a time where the women in our studies often went through a series of roles that became larger but also lateral moves as they went to different parts of the business, an area where they weren't the expert, and they had to rely on their ability to help others, uh, to bring out the best in others. A couple of them used the phrase, I wanted to be the leader that other people wanted to follow. And they did that mostly by engaging and inspiring with a sense of purpose and by developing talent and by helping their teams to work well together. 
as well as having some courage to take on serious challenges. In terms of the courage piece, I remember one of the women talking about the point that this transition happened, and it was very abrupt, and it was very significant in magnitude. She was part of a pitch, and they won the business, and she went from leading a team of eight people overnight to leading a team of 250 people. And she talked about how she broke out into hives that morning, just thinking about the magnitude of of what she was coming into that day. And she, of course, recovered and and picked herself up and and did amazing work. But the, the need for challenge initially in early career, which is often around mastering an, a technical area of expertise and, and getting a lot of excitement and encouragement from accomplishments in that space, moves into leading areas where you don't you don't know and you have to rely on others. And it seems to me, and I'm curious if you'd agree, Signa, that the leadership skills profile and the traits profile that we saw of these women CEOs really prepares them uniquely to take on this type of challenge, um, in part because of the tendency towards collaboration, uh, the need to achieve, but also the lack of a need around taking sole credit for accomplishments that they are almost nat- they've they were almost naturally in a position to excel in this area of broadening indeed and it's that interest in bringing out the best in others and being grateful for the opportunities and the mentorship and the contributions of other people and expressing that gratitude, giving the credit to them, that actually inspires people to keep on wanting to work for you. And it's a different kind of confidence than you typically see. It's a confidence that's willing to say, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to have all the answers. I can ask for help. One of them said, being humble and asking for help makes people want to help you makes you actually stronger. And I think that was true. And that's part of how these women got to where they are and how they built the skills that enabled them to be effective leaders in the CEO role when they finally got there. So we know the mid-career is a really delicate point in the leadership pipeline for women in particular. It's often a time in in women's lives where things are getting more complex and choices and trade-offs are being made. Talk to me about some of the key experiences that women need to be seeking out at this stage, not only how those prepare them, but how it helps them make the trade-off to stay in the game and in the workforce at a time when the demand on their time is is high. The women tended to do some lateral moves, and they welcomed challenges like an operation that was in trouble and needed to be turned around, or a startup of a new offering or a new service. They also started reaching outside their company to get involved and make networks in their industry, in the wider company, or in the community. We would say be thoughtful 
and make sure you're learning and stretching in these roles and that you're not just adding lots and lots and lots of volunteer positions. Those women who had the opportunity to do an international assignment on this found that it was a challenge, particularly with the family, but that most of them ended up enjoying it. This is also the time to make sure that you learn the language of finance, if you haven't already. That may be in your role. It may be something that you do outside of it. But start you know, reading the business press, particularly about your company, listening to analyst calls, things like that. A few women had the opportunity to have a short-term uh, special assistant to the CEO or to a very senior executive to work on a particular project, and that was enormously valuable. And then when that project was done, they would go back to a somewhat bigger job than the one they had left, but a similar kind of line or operational job. Any projects that might involve presenting to the board are great because it starts to give you some experience with them and seeing how they act and how they think. Uh, Mergers and acquisitions are great things to work on for that. They're also very challenging. I think these examples are great, and I often think of them as a punch list where you can collect different types of experiences in almost a rotational manner. And one of the things that we found with the women CEOs was how much they were motivated and driven by challenge, and not only driven by challenge, but energized by challenge. And so it it strikes me that at the mid-career point, when women have so many demands on their time, we not only need to be strategic about the decisions we're making about the moves we're making in our career, but we need to make sure that we're making moves that are going to continue to challenge us and increase our scope of responsibility and maximize our ability to have an impact in part because that's something that's very energizing and we need energy. And secondly, because it's something that helps us navigate the trade-offs that we're making, where we might make different choices if the job wasn't challenging and meaningful. And so in my mind, the most important thing that women can do in the mid-career stage is to not let up on demanding challenging, interesting work that feeds them and energizes them. And that can often mean doing these types of rotational assignments and taking things on that are scary. Um, And like you said earlier, Cigna, oftentimes the women CEOs would say, what's the worst that can happen? And they would not only lean into the challenge, but they would would take tremendous risk knowing that their identity and their self-worth And their ability to make an impact wasn't entirely dependent on whether they succeeded or failed at that one job or that one experience or that one role. But what was more important was the fact that they were continuing to get those types of challenges and opportunities to make an impact. So, Signa, let's move on to later career. And at this stage, we're talking about women who have had a strong track record, they have established credibility, they have made significant strategic career moves, both laterally to get a broad variety of experience, 
as well as expanding beyond being an individual contributor or leading in a specialty area to leading big teams of many areas of expertise. What is it that prepares women late in their career to lead an entire enterprise? Well, you want to make sure that you get a broad view of the business. And sometimes this is by having operational roles in different parts of the business or in bigger businesses that have several lines of business. You want to get some some lateral moves across. Uh, some people do this by having a short stint in HR or marketing or communications that gives them a view across the business. If you do this, you want to make sure there's a path back to operations for you. Part of it is letting people know your ambition. And then there's sort of a checklist of things. You want to have board experience with your board, if you can, um, with being on a board of another organization. Uh, You want to understand finance. You want to understand your outside constituencies, which might be regulators, they might be communities, they're certainly customers, and have some networking there and some presence there. Some people said it's not just what you know and who you know, but it's who knows what you know. Make sure that you continue to express your ambition and let the people who need to know know that you're interested. Also persist. And if you don't get a job that you wanted, keep on going. A number of our CEOs lost a race for one CEO job and then got another job in another company. And that happened in a number of cases. And they said a few of them only realized they really wanted to be a CEO when they lost the role in their current company. And then later they became CEO at another organization or even at the same one later. And that's perfectly normal. Um, You might in a situation like that, ask somebody, your boss or mentor, what do I need to do to be better qualified next time? One of the things I've noticed in some of the work I've done in CEO succession is that people who are successor candidates often need experience that would mimic the experience that a CEO gets, but it's not easy to get that experience when you're not the CEO. So How can women who are close to that role get experiences akin to what a CEO would need to be doing without actually being CEO yet? There's basically two ways you can do it. One is if your organization has a role running a part of the business, ideally a part of the business that's not right next to the headquarters, where you can kind of be a mini CEO of a mini business with a P&L. That's a great way to do it. Uh, Sometimes a spinoff can be like that. Or a new acquisition that's not being fully integrated yet. And the other way to do it is in pieces. So one component is to start thinking like a CEO. Uh, What would you do with the company? What is the purpose? What is the contribution the company is making? How do the things you're doing fit into that? 
and using that to align and engage people. And then another piece of that would be dealing with your outside constituencies, getting a role, representing the company in an industry or to regulators or to investors or to the public, making sure you understand the language of finance and can speak it. And as we said before, board exposure, either your own board or sitting on the board of some other organization, possibly a nonprofit, better a smaller organization that's facing similar kinds of challenges as yours is, maybe in the same industry, but maybe not, and cultivating your mentor or sponsor relationships, making sure you understand what's important to them and you help them and they help you. So what I hear you saying, Cigna, is that one way is to be sort of a mini CEO leading um, businesses within the business or leading country or regional businesses. And the other is to take the pieces and parts and get experiences related to different responsibilities that a CEO would have. Shifting the conversation a little bit, we know that two thirds of the women in our study out of um, 57 women didn't consider themselves for the CEO role until someone tapped them on the shoulder or told them, you've got this, I think you should go for it. Even when some of the women were up for it, they weren't entirely convinced that that was what they wanted. But once many of them made the realization, they did enthusiastically embrace that idea. How can we help women see themselves as having CEO potential? What is the gap that we need to overcome between women having that idea, raising their hands, and going up for the experiences that would prepare them for that role? One of the things I think we can do is talk about it as we are on this podcast and as our listeners are listening. To some extent, women's affinity groups can help a little to encourage people to think about it. I mean, not everybody is going to be a CEO, but we clearly have a lot more potential in the population of women than we have been utilizing. And I think that encouraging women to think about strategy and purpose and vision, what would I do with a business, can help them imagine themselves into that role. One of the CEOs was given this advice by another woman CEO. She said, don't defend your right to be in this interview. Talk about what you will do in the role, how you see the challenges and how you will address them. Talk as if you already have the role and go from there. This was for a woman who was actually interviewing for the CEO role. And I think that's good advice even before you're in the position of being interviewed by the board. Think about it. Imagine it. It was interesting because a number of women experienced this. And not all of them became CEO in that race. The advice that the women received in this situation was to focus on doing their job really well and on preparing themselves to be a CEO Uh, So the checklist that we just talked about, and to make sure that the board knew what they were doing and what they were accomplishing, but to stay out of any 
political infighting and maneuvering and cutting each other down because that would only make them look worse. A number of the women got the CEO job after the nasty political horse race, probably because they didn't engage in that. And others didn't get the job then, but they realized that they had it in themselves to become a CEO and they went on to be a CEO someplace else. And that was also a good outcome. One of our goals in this study was to illuminate a roadmap for women to make it to the CEO position. And I think the research insights we have from interviewing 57 women, 38 of whom took an online assessment so that we could look at their traits and drivers and competencies, I think we've got a sense of what qualities it took in these women, what approaches they took to their career, what experiences they had that prepared them for the role. And my hope is that in the conversation that Signa and I have just had, that we've been able to share a little bit of what the roadmap is to CEO for women, how not all women took the same exact path, um, and that there is a key driving force behind it all, which is the desire to be challenged and give back and have an impact. And that as long as that is at the core of uh, what is what is driving uh, a person's career, that there's often nothing they can't do. Signa, do you have any last thoughts before we close out? Um, a piece of advice that we haven't talked about that some of the women CEOs gave to younger women was when you're choosing your life partner, choose somebody who will be supportive because there's a lot of negotiating and support and challenges that you're going to face as a family and you need someone who's supportive to you. One interview that I did, the the woman mentioned that she and her spouse agreed that they would do it on their terms. And so they, they also had an attitude of not being willing to hold themselves to external standards that maybe other families or other couples would judge them for. And they just simply said, if, if we feel okay about it and it's abiding by our principles, we're going to do this on our terms. And that was a, a guiding principle for them. So I hope this has been a helpful conversation. Please join us for the other podcasts in the series. Thank you so much.